We do give a warm word of welcome to each one here this evening, to those who are visiting and those watching online. We welcome you in the Saviour's name and trust that we know a blessed time in the house of God tonight. We're going to commence by turning in our hymnals to the hymn 96. In the hymn 96, Christians awake, salute the happy morn, whereon the Saviour of the world was born. The hymn 96, I'm not too sure if I know this hymn or know this tune, and the tune is Yorkshire, and I lived in Yorkshire for a few years, uh, but I'm not too sure of the tune. And so uh, we'll stand to sing, and we trust uh, that uh, you know it. And then as we come to the end of the hymn, we'll ask uh, our deacon, Mr. Charlie Escobar, our elder, Mr. Rusma, if they can make the way to the pulpit uh, for uh, the prayer and scripture reading uh, later on, please. But the hymn 96, we'll sing uh, to the praise of the Lord.
Amen. You may be seated. And we're just going to read two verses of Scripture, and then uh, Deacon Mr. Charlie Escobar uh, will lead us to the throne of Greece in prayer. And then immediately after, we'll ask Mr. Andy Rizma, one of our elders, uh, to read from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 2. The Word of God says in Isaiah chapter 9, the verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to to worship our Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Thank you, Father, that the Savior has come to die on the cross for our sins. We are here rejoicing because of who he is and what he has accomplished on the cross for us, sinners saved by grace. Father, tonight we are remembering the, the coming of our Lord's, Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. And we praise and thank the Lord Jesus for coming. And I pray, Lord, that we will not only remember and rejoice of his coming, but also in his death and his resurrection. I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight to understand the reading and the preaching of your word. Bless every part of the service, and may we glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2? We'll turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll... Begin at verse 1. Verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So far. I'd like to thank our brethren for taking part in uh, the service and praying and reading uh, the scriptures uh, to us. And of course, those gifts that were received by the Savior uh, from the wise men, as we mentioned at the Christmas social, uh, those gifts uh, meant something. Gold reminds us of kings. The Savior was the great king and is our great king. Uh, the frankincense reminds us of his priestly role. He is our great high priest. And the myrrh reminds us of his death. Uh, he was born to die. Uh, we are born to die, uh, but not in the same way as the Savior. Uh, he was born to go to Calvary's cross, uh, to take the sins of his people as their high priest, and to die that atoning death for them. And so we're reminded at the incarnation of the Savior's death and of his great work and great purpose for us. And of course, he rose again, and as the Scripture says, ever liveth to make intercession for us as our great high priest. We're going to turn in our hymnals again to the hymn 109, the hymn 109, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. The hymn 109, Silent Night, and then after the singing of this hymn, we'll ask our brother, Mr. Alan Samuel, another one of our elders, to come and to have a reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. 109, standing to sing. i 
be seated. Uh, we'll ask our brother Mr. Alan Samuel to come and uh, read from Luke's Gospel chapter 2. Chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll read from verses 8 to 20. Verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I'd like to thank our brother for bringing that reading to us. And the readings this evening have been on the theme of the Savior's incarnation and reminding us of what took place, of the power of God and the great display of his glory as the Savior came and was sent into the world. At this point, can we extend a word of welcome to each one here? And we trust, again, the Lord's blessing would be upon us, those visiting and those online. We especially welcome you, and uh, we trust that you'll be blessed through the preaching of God's truth this evening. Do you remember the Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study uh, downstairs in the prayer room at 7.30 p.m. and on Zoom? And uh, do uh, remember that. If you need to be added to that email list for the link, uh, please let me know. And it's scheduled to go out, I think, 9 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And I'll be preaching via Zoom. I leave tomorrow morning, uh, 6 a.m. as my flight to Calgary uh, to spend uh, some time uh, with family and to preach in our Calgary congregation uh, next Lord's Day, do their prayer meeting uh, the following week, and then fly back on Wednesday the 3rd uh, to be here uh, for our own prayer meeting. Uh, so do remember uh, that uh, trip as we see family and as we preach uh, the Word of God in Calgary. And so next week, the 31st of December, uh, there's a prayer meeting at 10 a.m. There's no Sunday school, uh, but the prayer meeting at 10 a.m. And the preacher of both services is Mr. Stephen Boyd, a deacon in our Prince George uh, congregation. He's no uh, stranger uh, to us here. And so we're looking forward uh, to having him come and bring uh, the Word of God. And so do pray for him as he journeys down and as he prepares to preach next Lord's Day. Uh, there's no Sunday school, as I said, but there will be our usual fellowship around coffee and food after the evening service. And so we do ask you to bring uh, what you usually bring and have that time after the service as well. Saturday the 6th of January, we have our women's breakfast at 9 a.m., the men's prayer meeting at 7.30 p.m. And then I'm back to preach on Sunday the 7th of January. Uh, Sunday school will recommence at 9.30. Uh, we'll be looking, God willing, at creeds and confessions. We did look at that recently. Uh, I think it was Reformation Sunday. We'll be looking at it again, a slightly different aspect, as we come to consider Arianism uh, as we move further into the history of the church. And the children's Sunday school will recommence as well at 9.30. And then at 10.30, we'll have our morning worship, and the services will then continue as normal. Uh, but we will be preaching a motto text for the year. And uh, we have a text the Lord has laid upon our hearts, and we'll bring that on Sunday the 7th of January. And then we have our week of prayer. It'll be held on Zoom Monday the 8th to Friday the 12th of January at 7 p.m. each night. Uh, apart from Wednesday, 
Wednesday is the usual prayer meeting at the usual time of 7.30. Those details are in the bulletin and will be made known uh, the next number of weeks as well. So do uh, remember that. These are all the announcements, the subject to the will of God, and we trust uh, that you'll have a happy Christmas, blessed New Year, and uh, may we know the Lord's blessing as we go forth uh, from the old year into the new year, and may we know uh, His help, His blessing, uh, His strength as we seek to serve Him together as His church. We're going to turn to our offering hymn, uh, the hymn number 105. 105, it came upon the midnight clear in that glorious song of old. 105 will remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received. you give to us. We thank thee, Lord, that we can give unto thee from the heart, and we ask that you would take our tithes and offerings and use them for the furtherance of the gospel. We ask that you would minister to each heart here this evening. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the pews in our hearts, and also to give our pastor uh, unction from above that he may preach your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness for your grace and for your mercy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand to sing the remainder of this hymn, verses 2 to 4, standing please.
may be seated. And we're turning in the Word of God this evening to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And can I uh, thank uh, Jean and Kristen for playing uh, the piano this evening. And uh, we have enjoyed over the past uh, number of months uh, them playing. And certainly the Christmas social uh, when others uh, took part as well. I'm going to have to practice my Christmas hymns uh, because I have well over 30 years of experience uh, singing Christmas hymns. I have, well, led many a service in Northern Ireland, and we've sang Christmas hymns, and I did that for maybe 14 or 15 years. Uh, but the problem is that our hymnal here is different, and there's more hymns about the Incarnation and hymns that I've heard of, but I've never actually sang before, uh, because they were never in uh, the hymn book of our sister denomination in Ulster. Uh, there's a few differences. It's not the same hymnal. And so uh, maybe uh, this year I'll get some practice in uh, for next year and learn uh, some of those hymns a little better. And uh, Some were the very first time uh, that I'd sung them uh, in a service or at all. And so uh, it was all very new to me. Uh, so we'll work on that uh, for uh, next year. But it's good to sing. It's good to praise the Lord. It's good to have variety as well. And it is good to praise Him who uh, was incarnated in the flesh, who came down from heaven uh, to redeem us. And it's good at this time of year uh, to reflect upon uh, the Savior's birth. And so we're going to read Galatians uh, chapter 4. And the bulletin says Galatians 1 to 7. Uh, that means verses 1 to 7. It doesn't mean Galatians chapter 1 through to 7, because there is no chapter 7. Uh, but Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. And the Word of God says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. And let us consider then verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this evening. Uh, let us unite together in prayer, and let us uh, seek the Lord. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, and we thank Thee tonight that we can approach Thee, and we can look unto Thee and rejoice in the birth of our Savior. We thank Thee we can lift our voices in praise, and we can read Thy Word, and we can focus now upon the coming of the Lord and His great purpose of redemption for His people. And Father, we pray Thou would bless Thy Word to our hearts, Thou would speak to us, and 
minister to our souls, and may we be fed by thee this night for the glory of thy name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> this message will self-destruct in five seconds. Uh, those may be words that you never thought you would hear uh, from this pulpit at the commencement of a sermon. And when I was in Bible college, we often talked about uh, the first line of our sermon, getting the attention of the congregation. And so maybe uh, that has made you wonder tonight, where am I going? And what has that to do with our theme? And when we think of that particular phrase, it's connected to a particularly successful television program in the 1960s. Each week involved a team of talented individuals attempting a task that was deemed to be absolutely impossible to complete. And so this team was tasked with completing this mission, hence the name of the television show, Mission Impossible. And our reading tonight and our thoughts at this time of year bring us to contemplate a situation that from the perspective of man, we could deem as Mission Impossible namely the salvation of our souls. Nothing that we could ever accomplish, nothing that we could do could redeem us from our sin. It is something that is impossible, and it can never be achieved by us. And of course, when we think of our spiritual situation, uh, our spiritual situation is derived from our first parent's sin, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5 and the verse 12. And there's a reminder here by the apostle of sin and where sin came from and where sin will lead. And he says, Wherefore, as by one man, which is Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death, have passed, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And there is this reminder and this teaching in the New Testament and in the Scriptures that we are sinners because of Adam. And because of Adam's sin, we face physical death. We face spiritual death because we're separated from God. And we face eternal death in which we are eternally separated from God in hell for all eternity. And that is the end result of everyone who has no hope and is without God and has never repented of sin in this world. When we come to Galatians chapter 4, the apostle refers to, in verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. He refers to these elements of the world or the principles. The Greek word that is translated elements is translated in other places in Scripture as the word principles. And the primary thought in Paul's mind was the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, Israel were under it. Uh, they were in bondage under these things, and bondage to the world as well, until the Savior came. In Galatians 3, in the verse 23, uh, the Word of God says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And the infection of sin and the consequences of sin are something that mankind must face. There is nothing that we can do to accomplish 
our salvation. We cannot escape it. We cannot prevent it. We cannot delay it. We cannot delay our inevitable spiritual and eternal death in and of our own selves. It really is, for mankind, mission impossible. But man must look then to the grace of God in sending forth his Son into the world. And that is something that happened out of love. God sent forth his Son into the world that his people might be saved. And at this time of year, that is something that we focus upon, the sending forth of Christ into the world. There's no doubt that this time is a special period of the year, yet sadly so many hearts and so many lives, while they focus upon the season, are in reality far from God. Christ is the one upon whom we ought to focus. Christ is the one upon whom we sing and praise and think about. He is the one who brings peace. During the First World War, 1914 to 1918, it is said about Christmas in 1914, how the battle-wearied men in the trenches on Christmas Eve began to sing, Silent Night, Holy Night, and the opposing soldiers began to sing back, O little town of Bethlehem. There's no firing of weapons. There was peace. There are accounts that some of the men crossed into what was known as no man's land, a trench either side and a battleground in the middle, and they crossed over and they swapped gifts. And there was a ceasefire of sorts. Some would say they played soccer together. There was peace as they thought about the season, peace as they sang of Christ. And then they went back to why they were there fighting one another. But for that moment, there was peace. And that is why the Savior came, not to buy, as it were, a short time of peace, but to bring eternal peace through His so great redemption, something we could not accomplish ourselves. And the text that we have before us in Galatians 4 is a great text that says everything that we need to know about redemption. Redemption is accomplished through the Son, through the Son who came into the world to be our Savior. And so tonight I want us to consider the subject, redemption accomplished. Redemption accomplished. And I want you to see, firstly, that redemption is accomplished by the promised Son. Redemption accomplished by the promised Son. Notice what verse 4 says. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. There was a time, a time that God had appointed. In the opening verses, the apostle speaks about the Ur, the one who was under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Speaking of us, we were children. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. Uh, there was the Old Testament covenant. William Perkins the Puritan said that Israel was a little school set up in the corner of the world. The law of Moses was, as it were, an ABC in which Christ was revealed to the world in a dark and obscure manner, especially to the Jews, 
But now Christ had come. Now there was a moving on, as it were, the child moving from elementary school into high school or moving on to college or university. There's a growth. There's a change. There's a time when that takes place. A time when that takes place. And when we think of the Savior, the one who was promised, we know that scene well. The young child was born and laid in Bethlehem's manger because there was no room in the inn. No room in the inn. Incidentally, I heard the quotation recently that simply says that each of us is an innkeeper who decides if we have room for Jesus. I've seen Christians quoting this, Christians sharing this, those who are born-again believers sharing this. And that quotation, if you were to look at the source, it seems to be about Christmas. And there was no room for Christ. And therefore, as it were, spiritually, we're innkeepers and we need to accept Christ or to have Christ come into our lives through the power of His Spirit. It sounds okay to some, but that's not the context. It was actually a quotation by a Mormon elder some years ago, and it was said in the context of a lack of faithfulness to the Mormon church. Every one of us is an innkeeper deciding if there is room for Jesus. In other words, what is your Mormon faith like? Is it nominal? Or are you, as we would say, on fire for their beliefs? Nothing to do with Christianity at all. And we need to be discerning about these things. But we know that there was no room in the inn. The shepherds gathered in the fields at night. The angels said, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why? For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, the promised Messiah, the one who had been promised way back. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the enmity that would come between the woman and between the serpent, the one who would lose the head of the serpent. And this event was looked forward to by God's people for generations. There was a long wait for the coming of the Messiah. And Paul says, when the fullness of time was come, Christ's coming was the climax of this waiting period. And God knew that time. And when that time had come, Christ came into the world. It was perfectly timed. God in His sovereignty sent forth His Son. And through the Old Testament Scriptures, He spoke of the Messiah. And He promised the Messiah. The Psalms speak of Christ. Isaiah 53 speaks of Christ. Isaiah 9 that we read this evening speaks of Christ. Isaiah 7 verse 14 that is quoted in Matthew 1 that we consider this morning points to the child that would be born, that son who was given. And throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament, there is this constant pointing to the Messiah who would come to deliver His people. It was something the Jews believed and they looked forward to, something that would take place in the appointed time of God, the fullness of time. And when that time had come, God sent forth 
his son. If we look back at the early church, we can be amazed at how quickly the gospel spread in less than a century from Jerusalem into the various cities around it, moving through the ancient world to Rome. When we were in the adult Sunday school, we considered Gaul. We mentioned Gaul and those who served the Lord in Gaul, which is France. So it spread, Christianity spread from Rome to France, across Europe. And that is a remarkable thing to think about. When we think of the Roman Empire in those days, when Christ came, the Roman Empire was at its height. What did Rome do? They came and they built roads. Roads throughout the empire that helped their armies to move through the various regions. It helped trade. It helped individuals. It helped missionaries. It helped preachers to get from one place to the next. There was a common language. There was peace. There was relative ease to travel. And the apostles and the early preachers could carry the gospel message to the uttermost parts of the known world. And this helped immensely in the spread of the gospel. And Christ came in the middle, as it were, of that period. There was the Greek culture and the Greek language, that common language, Greek or Latin being the main languages used in the Roman Empire. When we think of the world spiritually, there was a great need of the gospel of Christ to come because the Roman Empire was filled with paganism. They practiced a system of polytheism. We would be monotheists. We believe in one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but one God. But the Romans believed in many gods, and they had a God of war and a God of the seas, and uh, like the Greeks of old as well, they had their various gods for every aspect of society. Paganism completely. And there's a great need for the gospel of Christ and for the truth of the gospel. And so, when the fullness of time was come, and those were only some human reasons as to why it was a great time for God to come, and God ordered all these things. God sent forth His Son. Many years had elapsed from that promise in the Garden of Eden to the coming of the Savior. God had not forgotten His promise to redeem His people from their sins. And notice this word sent forth in verse 4. God sent forth His Son. And it is the same style of Greek term in the original used to send forth the apostles or a king sending forth someone on a mission. God sent forth His Son. And there was a purpose behind it. There was a mission behind it. He came from heaven to earth. The only Son went forth into this world, and there was a purpose. There was a purpose. And when the time was come, He came forth into the world. When we think of this, what a reminder it is to us, because often we can think that God is tarrying. We pray and we desire God to come and bless, but we feel that that is not happening. But let us remember, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in His appointed time. Therefore, let us be patient. Let us trust the Lord. 
So many thousands of years had passed from the first gospel promise to the Messiah being laid in the manger, but God had not forgotten his promise. God had his time. And when we think of the second coming of the Savior, oh, there were those who mocked and those who cried out, where is the promise of his coming? He was to come again, but there was no sign. And this was the first century. Christ hadn't ascended all that long ago when Peter spoke about those things. But yet, Christ will come again in the fullness of time. When the appointed time has come, he will return in the plan of God. And the great question then is, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready for the second coming of Christ? He has come the first time, and you've heard about it. You've heard why he came. You've heard the glorious truths and the majesty about the first coming of Christ and how the angels sang and praised God. But what about his second coming? He's not coming as a baby to be led in the manger. He's coming in glory and splendor, coming to judge the world, coming to cast those who are wicked and corrupt and have never repented into everlasting judgment for all eternity, coming to take his people and bring them to their heavenly home. Christ is coming again. And his first coming and the promise of his first coming reminds us he is coming again. Oh, how Israel would have thought the Messiah is never coming. Time is moving on. God had been quiet for 400 years thereabouts before the events of Matthew's gospel, chapter 1. But the promise was true. And in due time, due time, oh, be ready, be ready. Secondly, we see redemption accomplished by the eternal Son. Redemption accomplished by the eternal Son. Notice what verse 4 says. God sent forth His Son. And the fact that the Son was sent teaches us something of great importance to Christian theology. We can think of this in Colossians 1 and John chapter 1 as well. And we won't turn to those passages just for the sake of time. But Colossians 1 refers to the creation. John 1 refers to the Word, the Logos, the Word of God, the Son of God, existing before the foundation of the world. And here where Paul says, God sent forth His Son, there's this emphasis that the Son of God existed before the incarnation. And so what actually took place in the incarnation and in the supernatural conception that Mary experienced was the second person of the Trinity becoming flesh. Not the creation of the second person. Not the creation of the Son. But the Son becoming flesh. And there is a difference. Because the Son had existed. And the Trinity had existed. And so... When God sent forth His Son, His Son was already existing. The Son is eternal. And this reminds us here, redemption is accomplished by the eternal Son of God, the eternal Sonship of Christ, the one who is God, 
the one who is the second person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And his sonship reminds us that he has that moral perfection, that he has that majestic holiness, that he is God. And we need to emphasize that. It is an important aspect of Christian theology to understand that Christ is the eternal Son of God, not created and then exists for all eternity, but that He exists or eternity future, but He existed in eternity past and was incarnated and continues to exist. And when we think of the Trinity and the existence of God, these are things that be very difficult for us to understand, a great mystery involved. But yet we find the teaching of Scripture regarding the existence of the Savior before the incarnation. And the Sonship of Christ reminds us, it reminds us of the security we have with our God. Why does it do that? Because Christ is eternally the Son of God. That relationship didn't change. When He came into this world, that relationship didn't change. He was God and man in two distinct natures, but one person forever, the Catechism says. And as Christ is eternally the Son, there's a confidence and security for us because we are the sons of God. And those who are truly saved will never lose that. We see this in uh, chapter 4 of Galatians. Verse 5, to redeem them, the purpose of the coming of the eternal Son was to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's a great blessing of, of being a son, great blessing of being adopted into a family, and Paul is saying that we who were rebels to God, because of Christ, we've been drawn in. We have been adopted. We have become sons of God. And that relationship can never be lost. Sometimes in society, sometimes there are rifts in families, trouble in families. It's sad to see. And often, the son or the daughter, the children will not speak to their parents. There can be very good reasons for that. But it is a sad thing that so many things have taken place and so much hurt that has resulted in such a great gulf and division between them. And you can lose all the privileges of being a son. And you can lose that relationship with the Father. And there can be that division. But yet, if you are truly a child of God, truly redeemed, looking to the Savior and believing in Him, that can never be lost. And we are secure in our relationship with God. That reminds us of the assurance of our salvation the assurance of our salvation because He is the eternal Son. 
And therefore Christ, as he died on Calvary, he is the eternal son. And therefore his redemptive work is eternally effective. There's a confidence then that because he came into this world and because he died for sinners, we can be saved. We can rest upon that. We refer to not the sand of our salvation or not the glass floor of our salvation or not the little thread of our salvation that we hold to. Who do we refer? What do we refer to Christ as as his people? The rock. The rock of our salvation. And what does that imply to our hearts and to our souls? That he is secure. We can rest completely upon him. It's not sand that will, as the foolish man's house was built upon, and the winds came and blew it away because there was no foundation. It wasn't glass that would crack and shatter. It wasn't a little tiny thread that could snap. It's a rock, a great rock, a rock that could not be moved, could not be changed, could not be broken apart. And therefore, we can rest assured because Christ came into the world to accomplish, and he did accomplish, redemption for us as the eternal son. Because he is the eternal son, we can have a hope in eternity, a hope that is secure, a hope that is real and true. Oh, the confidence. That is why we often say this time of year about the hope of Christmas. There's hope, an assurance because of the Christ who came into the world. Redemption accomplished by the eternal Son, but redemption accomplished by the incarnate Son. The incarnate Son, notice what verse 4 says, made of a woman, made under the law, made of a woman. The word sent implies his eternal deity, but the word born here, born of a woman, made of a woman, it's what it's implying, born of a woman. The emphasis here is that Christ had a human mother, a heavenly father, a human mother. And as we know, and as we've considered already, God became man. He took upon himself our flesh. We refer to that as the hypostatic union, the belief that Christ is fully God and fully man in one person. And that concept is shown in various church creeds that we will consider in the adult Bible class, the adult Sunday school in the future. But it's something the church believed, that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man in one person. And so the virgin birth and the incarnation is a vital doctrine of Christianity because it protects the deity of Christ, his eternal sonship, and the fact that he is flesh. Why is that aspect, the humanity of Christ, so important? Why is it so important? Because he is our mediator. To represent us before God, he is man. And that's why the incarnation is vital for us to believe and hold to, because our Savior had to represent us our Savior had to be man, but he couldn't be any man because all men have sinned. He had to be a man 
protected from original sin, free from that sin, to mediate for us, to be able to obey the Word of God perfectly, to make that atonement for our sin. Eternal God, to be resurrected and have a victory over death. And so it is foundational to our salvation. And what Paul is pointing out here is the fullness of time was come, and the eternal Son, and the Son who was human as well, made of flesh, in one person, came into this world. Why? To accomplish redemption. Because in the plan of God, that's how it had to be accomplished. And therefore, the Savior suffered as we do. He took our sorrows upon Him. He understands our trials because of His humanity. We're reminded of that in the book of Hebrews. He's a Savior who's accessible to us. In His humanity, He's approachable to us. We can come and cast our curse at His feet. We can come and pray and seek Him. We have an example of holiness as He lived a sinless life. Oh, His humanity is of vital importance. And then we see, finally, as we close, redemption accomplished by the righteous Son. He was made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. And how marvelous this is. Christ died to purchase redemption. Many years ago in America, a man and his son were walking through the streets of a city, and the child saw many stars in the windows of that city, in the windows of houses. And the reason for that was that it showed a son from that home was serving his country. And he was impressed by this, and he looked into the sky, and he saw the star shining bright. And he said to his father, look, Daddy, God must have given his son because he has a star, a great star in his window. And Christ came into this world to accomplish redemption, to adopt us, to redeem us from our sins, and it was accomplished by the son who was righteous, made under the law, but yet he could not break that law. He was sinless and he was perfect so that he could adopt us. Adoption, the catechism says, is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And the picture of adoption is one that brings great comfort to us. It speaks of our redemption. Christ has purchased us. Christ has redeemed us because He is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And so the babe that was led in the manger, the one who came into this world, was the promised Son, the eternal Son, the incarnate Son, the righteous Son who would never sin in order to save every man, every woman, everyone born into this world because they are sinners, to redeem sinners. Oh, that you would look to Him. You'd believe in Him. By His grace, you'd turn from your sin, be counted among the adopted sons of God. Know Him as your own 
and as your personal Savior. Redemption accomplished by the promised Son, by the eternal Son, by the incarnate Son, by the righteous Son. There's no other way. There's no other way. If we were to use that same title, we could really have no other outline that says something that is entirely different than the promised Son, the eternal Son, the incarnate Son, the righteous Son. We couldn't say, by the hard worker, by the religious man, by the good individual. We can't, because salvation is only through the Savior, the promised Son, the eternal Son, the incarnate Son, the righteous Son. Well, that you would look to Him, believe in Him, and repent from your sin and trust and know that your redemption, which is impossible for you, can be accomplished through the Lamb of God who came into the world to save sinners. May the Lord bless His Word for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 97. The hymn number 97, as with gladness men of old did the guiding star behold. Hymn 97, and uh, there are five verses here, but uh, we'll stand and uh, we'll sing them all. Thank you. 
we'll stand for prayer. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word tonight. Apply it to our hearts, we pray, that each one of us would know within our lives uh, the accomplishment of Christ's redemption. Uh, Father, bless us, we pray. Uh, we pray for thy hand to be upon us this week. Uh, bless our time with family. Bless our time thinking upon thee and serving thee. And we pray that thou would be with us as we come to the end of another year and as we embark on a new year in thy will. And we do pray, Father, that thou would part us with thy blessing. May the love of God, our Father, may Savior's presence, may the fellowship of thy Spirit go before us. We pray. Amen.